I believe everyone has a story to share. I'm on a journey to discover the magic inside each person's story. Each week, I will introduce you to guests where I will dig deep and uncover the beautiful miracles from life and experiences to inspire and encourage you to live life to the fullest. My goal is to give each guest a platform to share their lives with the world in hopes that someone will be inspired to take action and live life with passion and purpose. Welcome to the Uncover Your Magic podcast with me, Ashley Goner. Are you ready? Here we go. Hello and welcome back to Uncover Your Magic. Today's guest actually reached out to me and asked to be a guest on my show. I get that more now because it's been over two years and I actually had more downloads in the first three months of this year than I did all of last year combined. So that was so exciting. So my show is growing and reaching more countries each and every day. So thank you to all of you who are so loyal and listen every week and send me messages that I just love. It's amazing to think I have listeners in Venezuela, Denmark, France, Brazil, Malaysia, Croatia, and the list goes on, but those just a few. But it's so fun to look at the analytics every once in a while and see where people are listening from. One thing I have learned from having this podcast is the power of the word consistency. Getting an episode out each week for over two years is the result of these successful analytics and some amazing guests. So hello to all of you who are listening all over the world. Thank you for your loyalty. It means so much to me. I have friends all over the world now, and even more amazing, I have friends that are on this spiritual journey with me that make it even more fun and exciting. Before I tell you about this incredible man you are going to have the pleasure to meet today, I want you to remember to check my social media and my website for the latest speakers I have featured every month that are doing free masterclasses on such fun topics from this podcast. We've had Vanessa Stewart, Maddie Sparkles, Dominic Zenden, Shane Braverman, and that is just to name a few. They are free one-hour Zoom classes. All of the recordings are on my YouTube channel if you want to go back and listen. Hope to see you at the next one. They are so fun. Also, I have my waiting list for raising confidence for teenagers and the magic path for parents and adults. They're both open right now and are on my website and also in the show notes from this episode. I can't explain what it feels like to watch not only the teenagers graduate and start living with intention and clarity and the tools to wake up in the morning and have this amazing vibration and understand the concepts of life and how to create magic. (laughs) But now the parents do as well. What a concept to have a family all on the same page, realizing life can be magical and fun. And when using the same tools, these families take their lives and spiritual growth to a whole new level. Why wait? Get your family all on board, or at least your kids. There is no better time than now. All we have is this moment. Let's make our commitment, not only to ourselves, but to our families, and take it up a notch. I am so ready to shift the energy on this planet 
And it can all start with just you. Okay, so on to this guest that you will be all sending me messages about and sharing it with your friends. I can almost guarantee it. It's not every day you come across someone who makes you realize you have a lot more to learn on the spiritual path than you thought you did. Well, that is what Stephen Shaw has made me realize. And with his 12 best-selling books and the other podcasts I've been listening to that he's been on, I am on that journey down that rabbit hole once again. And you know how I love my rabbit holes. So get ready to meet this man who, if I know you all as well as I think I do, you will all be on that in that hole with me. That is what I love about this podcast and connecting to these beautiful souls who I know have been divinely guided to me. So without further ado, please welcome this amazing man that everyone is going to be talking about, like I am, Stephen Shaw. Welcome, Stephen. Hey, Ashley, it's nice to meet you. Oh, so nice to meet you. And it's, this is going to be a hard to get this all in in an hour, but we're going to have to do a few more episodes because I have gone down, and I already talked about this in the intro, your rabbit hole of just this, wow, eye-opening, learning the 12 books you've written, which will be on my list of reading and your story. And, you know, I have two daughters. I always talk about them on the show, but they're 13 and 16. And when I listen to your childhood, I want you to kind of talk about that. I did mention that a little bit in the intro, but, you know, you think of how, you know, we're all, we all pick our families. They all are here to teach us. We're here to teach them, the children, you know, my children are my biggest teachers. But when I look at your life and how you were raised, and I always talk about when you uncovered your magic, which I feel like was really early on, like before like 11, I, maybe I would say. I don't know. I'm sure it was earlier than that, but that was when one of the moments I heard. But take us to just kind of describing how you were raised and these moments that kind of sparked your mind were like, whoa, I know there's more because you're a seeker like me. And I love when I learned from what people have went seeking after. Yeah, I think uh, some people are born seekers and other people become seekers later in life, maybe through a life crisis or a tragedy or just evolution. But I was born a seeker, that's for sure. And uh, my childhood was interesting something that I would have found difficult to talk about before, but because of my own evolution and my radical journey to self-love, it's quite easy to talk about. So basically, my mother had severe bipolar disorder, which created an unsettling and threatening atmosphere at home, and there wasn't any kind of feeling of security and love, or what psychologists call a secure attachment. And uh, I lost my mother when I was five. I mean, that's a sort of blessing and a curse in a way, because I was never able to get the relationship I wanted with my mother and never able to have a feeling of radical love and self-love. But the other side of the coin is when she left, I kind of knew that it was up to me now. And this mixture of spiritual seeking and this lack of love drove me in a particular direction my whole life. And the funny thing is I was looking back just today, I do this occasionally, you kind of look back over your life because I'm 55 now, right? And you start to see the pattern. You can see how the thread has run throughout your life. And the 12 books I've written, they all contain the thread of love. Some of them deep love, some of them are self-love, some of them are relationships. And this thread of seeking both spiritual truth, the meaning of life, the meaning of existence, and to find deep radical love, which kind of drove me my entire life. Yeah. Hmm. 
And talk about your dad. My dad. <laughs> you know, he was a man of his times, so I can't really say anything negative. He wasn't emotional. He wasn't affectionate. And I kind of feel like that was how that generation was. Maybe I'm wrong. But the plus side of it is he pushed me really hard to take responsibility for my life. One of his favorite phrases was, if it is to be, it is up to me. And he used to say that no one's coming to save you. He couldn't tolerate victimhood. Now, I understand sometimes we are victims. We go through a tragedy, we'll be a victim for a while. That's completely natural, normal. We need help and support. But he didn't tolerate that. He said, no one's coming to help you in life. No one's coming in on the white horse. You've got to make it work, right? And especially after my mom was gone, he was even pushing harder. He would sit my sister and I down every single week after school on a Sunday and say, what have you achieved for the week and what are you achieving next week? It was kind of like, in a way, a tough way to grow up. You know, so on the negative side, we didn't get that affection and love from my dad. But on the plus side, my sister and I became super achievers. And in some way, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have traveled the world for 10 years and written 12 books and gone to university and got my degrees. My sister went to university for 11 years and now she's the head of uh, social services working with children. It's kind of interesting. So it's, it's funny how life works. Sometimes the bad things actually drive you towards something positive. Yes. And um, so I pushed my whole life seeking because of my mother and being driven because of my father. So it's almost inevitable, like who I became. Right. Oh, I love it. And then when you were 11, you got a brochure mm-hmm. on meditation. Yeah, <laughs> because the other thing I haven't mentioned as much is from a very young age, as far back as I can remember, I was clairvoyant, which was very difficult to explain because my mother was, I couldn't connect to my mother. And my dad was an atheist, I mean, a staunch atheist. So he did not want to hear anything about this. But I was always seeing beings of light coming and going. I used to know things about people ahead of time. I had precognition. And I could read someone almost instantly, their moods, their intentions, so forth. But I had no one to guide me, definitely not my parents. And then when I was 11 years old, I found this pamphlet for transcendental meditation. And it was Where did you find that at 11 um, years old? I think it was at a bookshop because I, my mother had, one of the plus things, my mother pushed me to become an avid reader, which is, again, a blessing. You know, for me, when I look back, your parents give you what appears to be both negatives and positives. Right. And if you, if you handle the whole thing together well and integrate it, it can drive you into something really special and evolve you beautifully. So, wait, wait, so, when you were, so she passed away when you were five, but you like even talk about it like you were so aware. I mean, I, I can kind of remember zero to five little things, but you really remember that time with her? No, I wasn't that aware. And it's interesting as well, because that's something that haunted me for a long time. Where was their memories from zero to five? And then I, when I studied psychology at university, and also subsequently, because I read voraciously in a range of subjects from psychology to business to biographies, it turns out that most people do not remember things that happened at a very young age, whether it's traumatic or even good. And in fact, especially from naught to two, we tend to store memories in our bodies, what's called somatically. And that's quite fascinating and unconsciously too. So for example, if you are traumatized or abused or something bad happens to you between the ages of approximately naught to two, even naught to three, you can have all that trauma stored in body memory, but not conscious memory. So you can land up being 11, 20, 33, whatever, and you have this feeling in your body that, you know, when someone touches you, you feel really uncomfortable or anxious or scared, but you can't consciously work out what it comes from. So then you have to find a particular kind of therapy that's not talk therapy because you can't consciously work it out. It may involve a tactile kind of therapy like massage with words. It might involve a psychedelic 
a gentle psychedelic like mescaline, which is used by Peruvian shamans. And wow, that stuff's amazing, by the way. Right, I heard you talking about that. Oh my God, I mean, because that's got no side effects. It's non-addictive. It's just the most powerful, beautiful way to heal out body traumas. Yeah, so my memories are not that strong, but I do remember flashes of, of things and uh, the precognition happened more and more as I grew older and older. And when I was 11 and I found this pamphlet in a bookstore, I was intrigued because <laughs> I'm sure it was marketing, right? But these guys were levitating in the pamphlets. And I was like, okay, I've got to levitate. This is amazing, right? So I begged my dad to please let me learn meditation. And he did relent eventually. You know how kids wear parents down. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, I, I do. <laughs> I do very well. <laughs> I'm talking theoretically because I only have a cat. I don't have kids. I never right. have kids. But eventually he said, okay, go do it. And he paid for it. And a wonderful old lady, old from my perception anyway, um, taught me how to meditate. And it, it was a, a fantastic stepping stone. Definitely not mentorship in terms of you know, preconditioning clairvoyance, but it taught me how to access some of my emotions. And within weeks of learning meditation, and for me, transcendental meditation is one of the most powerful meditations. It's absolutely amazing. I started grieving within weeks. And a lot of grief, obviously, to do with my mother and my childhood came out. Huh. Um, you know, it was amazing. And my dad freaked out a little bit because I was crying every day for a week. But you know, after seven or eight days, it dissipated and, it, and healed me out. At least a large extent, the grief. Uh, and then also I had a lot of extra psychic experience happen. I, I, I saw a, a whirling silver dot come rushing towards my forehead. I didn't know what a third eye was, but it hit me right in the third eye, exploded with light inside of me. I had no idea actually what happened. I just know I had the experience. Huh. And this is, this is part of the problem in my childhood because I never had a mentor who could tell me what was happening. You know, the kind of new age movements haven't really been born by then. Right. We were, you know, there were so many things we didn't know. I used to read as many books as I could get my hands on, on uh, reincarnation and karma and whatever else I could find, but it wasn't helping me personally to understand what I was capable of, what I could do. And unfortunately, being of that generation at that time, I had a long way to go before I could find someone who could mentor me or show me a way forward in that particular area. Right. You know, we're the same age. I'm 53. I'll be 54 this year. And, you know, you think, I think when you're just saying that story, like, yeah, I was always, I've always been a seeker. I look back at my life and think, gosh, I've always knew there was more. I didn't know how to find it. I didn't have the parents that were going to, you know, my mom was raised Christian science, you know, so there was that little bit going on. My dad would read read Wayne Dyer books. You know, there was little things that kind of led, you know, interest me. But then I just, when I was, when I could have a car, I would drive to the bookstore. I just remember just, you know, going to the new age section, going to self-help or, you know, all the things. And I just started, I was, I have so many, I had just bought books all the time. So when you, you know, when we're at that, you know, where you're, you know, that you, there's more, but who's going to teach, you know, who's out there at that time of our life. There wasn't that. I didn't know of it. I don't think there was. I think it was more scattered sort of gurus across the world, you know, perhaps in Asia and exotic places. You know, the New Age movement was a revolution in terms of bringing a lot of wisdom from the East and different places and actually allowing people to, it's kind of like we're doing today. You know, what I think is really exciting today is this move towards, let's call it authenticity, where more and more young people, and it's a whole different generation, are willing to come out on Instagram or whatever and say, this is who I am, my gender identity, my sexual identity, my interests, my passions, whatever, and just come out and be that. And sure, not in all parts of the world, but we're seeing it a lot more. And it's creating 
the next wave of authenticity and vulnerability and courage and openness. And it's the same with the New Age movement. You know, as it came across, more and more of us were able to say, hey, this is who I am. You know, whether you've had some sort of alien abduction experiences or you've seen angels and beings of light or you just know in your soul there's something more out here or even more, you know intuitively that you've been somewhere before, that you may be not of this world, that you're not this person you seem to be and you just can't find the answers. And then one day you start finding all these beautiful, call them mentors or gurus or spiritual teachers or whatever that start to unlock these things inside of you. That's, yeah. that's crazy exciting. Yeah. So when you were 15, what was what happened when you were 15? Mm, I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, well, when um, you were 15, you don't remember? I don't know. It's probably in my biography somewhere. It um, was in your biography. I think, is it? I can't remember. Well, I'll tell you what, let's just jump to 21 because... Yeah, let's go, let's go when you have your yeah, marriage in your 20s, when you're, yeah, you have your marriages know. and divorces. Because I, I had a yeah. marriage and divorce and I related to that. So go, let's go there. Yeah, yeah I mean, I mean, 15 basically I was just in school you know, and studying things I hated and I thought it was an absolute waste of time, bored into tears. I think today, if I was diagnosed, and I hate labels, but I probably would even diagnose with attention deficit disorder because I tell you what, in school, I could not concentrate. I, I just absolutely not interested in the subjects and how I managed to graduate high school, I don't know, and get into university. <laughs> it was a miracle. Huh. I, had this ability, I had this ability to look at information and retain it, like, not photographic, but really strongly. So I would just learn at the very last minute enough to get through exams because I'm, I was either not in school or mentally not in school, either one of them. So and I, I think school, I have no idea what it's like today. You have kids and I don't. But I hope it's changed. That There's a lot more attention to people's learning styles and also subjects a bit more relevant and, and pragmatic. Oh, you're just talking. It's not relevant. It's all no. the same. It's all the same books or same subjects that we had. And I, that's probably why I am so adamant about, I have classes where I teach teenagers and all the tools that I love that you do that I think are so important now. So no, it's, I think this, we're in a shift now with all that we're doing with this ascending in this planet. I hope hope that, yeah. Because, you know, when you think about this, I'm sure we're probably going meandering a bit, but you're going to spend 10 or 12 years in school. That's a huge chunk of your life. And it's a huge part of indoctrination. And you hope that, You'll be learning things that are really valuable to you, not just spiritually, emotionally, but actually in terms of life skills, right? Yes. I mean, you know, in, in school, I never understood why we weren't taught about relationships. Why did I have to get to 21 mm-hmm. and get married and divorced twice in my 20s? Because I did not have any, any relationship skills at all. Right. Plus I still had some wounds from my mother and so forth. So I, I feel like, wow, what an opportunity is lost when all I came out with is a, a great knowledge of geography. You know, and things that I absolutely no interest in at all. So it is, it's really sad. So I do hope schools improve at some point and yes. it becomes much more life oriented. Yeah, but I mean, I came out in my 20s and also we did military service, which is compulsory in South Africa, two years, no choice in that, which taught me discipline. Mm-hmm. Not that I needed discipline because of my dad, but nonetheless, it just sort of reinforced that. But yeah, in my 20s, I, I married and divorced twice. And partly I had wounds. I never, evolved into deep self-love. And also, like most people, my skill sets in terms of relationships were poor. It was based on ideas from my parents, ideas from friends, ideas from media, based on a lot of antiquated old-fashioned myths, which, Mm -hmm. by the way, are still in place today because I teach a course now called Intimacy, uh, Intimacy Coaching and so forth, because of this very thing, because I've understood the full depth and breadth of self-love and radical relationships. 
And when we do classes, it's amazing how many people, I'd say 95% of people still operate with these old-fashioned myths and integrative ideas about relationships. And that's why 70% of relationships end in divorce or separation or whatever. And it's painful and we get bitter and jaded and we lose the faith in love and so forth. You know, and most of us, by the time we get to our 40s or 50s, are really like burnt out about love. But it's because we've got the wrong strategies and the wrong ideas because we've never been taught, not, not even from school, university or whatever. Right. So that's, that's an aside. That's the love aspect. You know? <laughs> right. Well, there's going to be more of that in this episode. So stay tuned. <laughs> You'll learn well, why he's teaching intimacy. Yeah. I mean, it's quite interesting because when I look back now, and this is the great thing about being in your 50s, and I'm sure you feel the same, you're entering in the, the decade of wisdom. It's the part where you really start to put things together. You can look back and collate your lessons and understand your pathway, where you made the mistakes, where you learned, where you can do things better. And also how you can then get to other people, right? Mm-hmm. That's the joy of your 50s. Not everyone gets there. Some of them, are, some people are still teenagers and 50-year-old bodies. Right. But a lot of us get to the point where we can be like a legacy. We can start to help people in a way that's not egotistical, but a way that's loving and caring, in a way that's going to promote uh, joy and peace in this earth, make the world a better place, a yes. great place. That's what you do, I know for sure. Um, you gave so me tears I, just now. I know what it's true. I mean, this yeah. is what we're here for. I mean, without being dramatic, we are here for our own lesson learning and our own karma and our own evolution, and that's nice but painful, right? And if we do really well in that, we're going to get to our 40s and 50s and say, oh, thank God that's over, right? Right. Check, check all those boxes. And now I can start to look at where I am, how to consolidate myself in a place of deep spiritual values and deep heart and love, and then how I can go back and help other people. Yes. And it, it's important as well to not compare and contrast to other people, other spiritual teachers, other podcasters, other writers, whatever, you've got to ask yourself, who am I? And learn to really accept and value and celebrate who you are and have deep gratitude for where you've come from and who you are now. And then take that magic and give that to other people. And never think, am I giving enough to other people? Is it higher quality? Just remember that wherever you are in life, there's always somebody above you and somebody below you, right? right. All the way up and down the ladder. And the real thing is, you've got to say to yourself, I'm in this position on the ladder. Now, who can I look down to and put my hand out and help them come up? And that's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And we're all doing that in different kind of ways. And I think it's important to value who we are and, and to celebrate that. You know? Yes. So anyway, yay, 50s. <laughs> <laughs> yay, 50s. I, you know, I that seems like it was the old people, you know, when we were in our... I know. <laughs> I'm I know. like, what? I'm not old. I don't feel like I'm 53. <laughs> Actually, there's some truth in that though too, because... Like I say, 50s and new 40s and so forth. But actually, that's true because of advances in nutrition, advances in exercise, advances in the way we keep ourselves healthier, uh, stress reduction, all these kind of things. We actually are biologically younger these days. So I get that feeling. I look in the mirror and think, wow, I'm supposed to look different by now. I'm 55. But I actually feel amazing. I mean, I've got massive energy. My brain is working incredibly well. I can, I can work for hours and hours at a time. And that's because of you know, the nutrition I use today is far more advanced than I knew anything about in, 20, in my yeah. 20s or 30s. Yeah, yeah, so in, sure. in, a, in a way, we are. It's, it's quite exciting because we are able con- to contain this amazing life wisdom we've accrued in these pretty youthful, maybe hot bodies too, right? <laughs> Working <laughs> <Why not>? on <laughs> it. <laughs> oh, you're so cute. So you've opened up a, a clinic with for being a psychic. Like you do that up until like in your thirties and you meet oh, someone yeah. else and you get married yeah. and go there. Cause this is a time where you're trying to build and thought you figured it out. 
I, you know, I mean, this is so interesting about life as well. You, it's never a straight line, right? I like to think of it like a stock market. It's going up and then down and up and down and up and down and eventually goes up. If you look at the, in the long run, if I could look back, I would realize that's how it works. You have the moments going up and the moments going down. So I'm starting to make some progress in my 20s, despite the mistakes I'm making. And then at 25 years old, I get violently attacked by three guys with guns. And the details are irrelevant, but I got PTSD. I mean, severe PTSD. It was, in a way, kind of fascinating because I was at psychology, I was university studying psychology. So at the same time as studying PTSD, I was experiencing it. So oh. it's probably just amusing to me as a psychologist. But it was radical PTSD. So there it goes down again. And then on the way up, I'm going through different therapies and I can't cure it and so forth. And that contributed to my second divorce, the PTSD. Oh, okay. That's, you know, she was an amazing woman and good and kind, but the PTSD just ruined everything. I mean, I feel sorry for people who have it because it's almost incurable. People have it for decades, especially, you know, and it can come from anywhere. It can come from a severe car accident. It can come from being raped. It can come from being in a violent war situation. So, right. But um, I sort of abated somewhat, and then I sort of moved forward and created a learning and development consultancy, which was teaching corporate people, CEOs, senior managers, how to have what I call soft skills in the corporate world, which is a, a great a stepping stone again, and you'll see why later on. But at the same time, I had a psychic therapy practice where people would come to me and I would read their energy fields. I would read who they are, give them advice about who they are, where they should go next. And also their guardian spirits would surround them and sometimes angels and different beings. And I would give messages from their beings or from the angels to people with me. So I had this weird situation where I was one foot was firmly in the corporate world and very straight in a way. And the other side, I was in the psychic therapy kind of world. And I couldn't quite marry these things up. Um, and I also felt frustrated because I still hadn't got all the answers that I wanted out of life. And I hadn't found all the love I wanted in the something. So, 39 is when the big change happens. And I hit what I call a life crisis. And the life crisis comes down to this. If you have success without fulfillment, you will hit a life crisis. Mm-hmm. And again, because we, there's not just things in midlife crisis anymore, because we are, as I said, we have evolved differently. We are more healthy these days and so forth. You can have a life crisis when you're 20 or 30 or 40. But my life crisis hit me at 39, the apex of having a great job, earning good money, having success, worldly success, driving a great car. But I was so empty inside, so unfulfilled, so frustrated that I hit this monster life crisis. Hmm. So what I think about is when you talk about, I just left everything, left my wife, gave her everything and just said, I'm out of here. I'm going to go travel the world and find these answers. <laughs> it's not as simple as that because, because I said I had the PTSD as well. And I, I felt like, and I knew I wasn't giving her enough of what she needed. The PTSD has horrible side effects. It throws your emotions out. It shuts you down. It can put you in a strange zone where you can't connect to people. Huh. And it's, oh, there's some horrible effects from PTSD. And I, I don't think PTSD is really discussed. All we hear is every so often some guy who's been in a war situation is on TV and has got PTSD. And approximately 8% of Americans have PTSD, presumably mostly from war situations, but other things too. And 8%? PTSD, about 8% of people. It's a okay. lot. It's a very high percentage. 
And the thing is, obviously, there's other side effects too. Like you get something called hypervigilance, which means you're always on edge. You know, you, mm-hmm. Your arousal level is too high. Your heart's beating too fast. And you become super aware of the smallest nuances of what people are doing around you. So it's not a good thing to be in a relationship. As, and I'm sure you've heard that many people with PTSD, their relationships crumble. And I, and I wasn't going to go on medication. I know for sure medication does not cure PTSD. I don't believe in dumbing down your emotions and your feelings. There has to be another solution. And I did cure it, but we, we can come around to that uh, later on. But anyway, 39, I did that. You know, it was a mixture of saying, I'm not healthy in this relationship, even though she's an amazing person. And because I had such love for her and I'm quite a sensitive person, I just said, you know what? I'm leaving everything here. You can have the house. Everything was, I, I just can't, you know? It was a painful house. And I, I said, I, I just can't do this. It's not fair to you, but I don't want to have anything. You take everything, so you're taken care of. It's important to me. And we're still friends today. And then I just basically got a backpack and said, I'm going to search this planet relentlessly until I find what I call the apex teachers. And when I started, I wasn't thinking apex teachers. I was looking for anyone. I made some mistakes. I got burnt a few times. And I realized that there are some people out there who are not who they seem to be. And some people are not really genuine. Some people are fakers. But also discovered if you're relentless, you have a strong intention, then a synchronicity starts to happen. And if you are absolutely crystal clear about what you want in your life and you will not let go until you wrestle it to the ground, then the gods and the angels and the beings of light will guide you and show you. And it did take 10 years, but I found these what are called apex teachers. And maybe it's a strange word, but it's the people I think are at the top of the pyramid. Right. So you've got a whole lot of people at the bottom of the pyramid who are like doing the best they can. They're okay. They help some people. Then you've got the people in the middle that are really quite astounding, the people you've probably heard about, who write great books and do great seminars. And then you've got very few people at the apex. And that's what I wanted to find. The rare people who had radical knowledge and radical power. That's what I was searching for. Because I already had a great education and I had a sharp mind and I'd been a voracious reader like you have, all these different spiritual self-help books. So I didn't want middle of a pyramid. So I searched Tibetan lamas, Peruvian shamans, tantric masters. I, I used to keep finding out who the next one was. And if I wasn't satisfied, I'd move up until I was challenged. I had to be challenged. I had to be challenged mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Okay, wait, so wait, ten, hold, on. hold on, yeah. hold on, hold on. Sorry, okay. So you have your backpack, you leave... And now you're on this quest. Are you getting on an airplane? I'm going to go fly to India and then get out and like get the phone book out. I mean, like, what are you doing? How do you find these people? You start, do you know people? I, what I tried to do, because again, this is probably because of trauma in my youth and PTSD and whatever, I was quite controlling. So I started off doing the research and finding connections and joining some groups and some seminars and so forth. But then as, as time progressed and I realized it wasn't working, and also I was healing out certain things and relaxing, I started to have more of a, a flow kind of situation, which is far better. So I would start to sense, feel, start to trust more again. My, I shut my intuition down a bit as well because of the stress of all the changes. Mm-hmm. So then I opened it all up again and I gave myself permission to just enter into that kind of world. So then I started to do things like flowing, intuition, uh, following energy and so forth and listening to people's recommendations. And when people spoke to me, and this is something I've been able to do for quite a while, I don't think I've ever mentioned this on air before, but I have the ability to not only jump into other people's energy fields, like for example, and distance is irrelevant, of course, it's no distance. So I could jump into your energy field right now. But what I can do as well is you hold the thought of someone, I can jump into your energy and follow what I call the energy cord to the other person too, right? I don't think I've ever said this on air before. So, all right, first yeah. time. <laughs> well, I do this with clients all the time. But what I would do then is I would be talking to a teacher 
And then I would jump into the energy field. I mean, I'm trying to do it ethically and politely, right? And then I look in the energy field to see where the cord is strongest, because the stronger and brighter the cord is, it means it's going to someone significant. And then I'd follow to see who that person was and where in the world they may be. And so I could start to track their teachers. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying, like, I usurp oh, people the whole time. Oh. And I thought to myself, let me find out who the teacher's teachers are, you know, because I want to get to the top. And I kind of feel like I have this driving force. I don't know why. Maybe it's my childhood, my mother. I just thought from a young age that I am not going to lay in my deathbed and have any regrets. I don't want to leave this earth without knowing everything I can know, without learning everything I can find out and meeting all the right people, no matter what it took. So I kind of had this thought that I'm going to, I'm going to go to the absolute limits and I push myself to the limits and uh, as far as I could in every direction. And that's what I did for 10 years. I mean, wherever I was, if I was in Peru living with the shamans, I said, okay, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do. You want me to drink this or diet in this way or whatever, I'm going to do it. I did everything. And sometimes I pushed across the line a bit too far and it hurt. But 99% of the time, I got what I wanted. I got this radical mentorship and, and immersion into spiritual knowledge and power. You know, you talk a lot about self-love and relationships and... One more thing, but those are like the two things that really come to me when I think of you. When you were on your 10-year quest, what were some of the common threads that you were finding from the shamans and the the chakra, the people that you met, the kundalini, you know, all those things. I want you to share those stories because I think that when I hear your story about even just trusting and going and listening, I mean, doing that whole thing with <laughs> going into someone's, you know, learning all these tools that are innate in you. You know, we're all, we all have these tools, but you're learning how to access them. Yeah. Well, that's exactly the thing. Uh, looking back on my life, there's two primary pathways that I followed. And the one is spirit and the one is heart. I didn't realize at that time what I was doing. There was a large part of me was looking for spiritual truth and spiritual knowledge and what's beyond this world and, and where do we go when we die? You know, all the things we're all looking at. What is reincarnation? Does it really exist? And what is a soul? What is time? But at the same time, I didn't realize what I was looking for was love. And now you come to the end of the journey, and it's not really the end, of course, because we're never at the end of the journey. But at this point, I can say, I understand now, without being a new age cliche, that everything comes down to light and love. Because light is, you can call the spirit, and evolution and knowledge, and love is love. So when I look at the thread of the 10 years in particular, and it took me a while to understand what was happening. You, you, don't, you can't put the puzzle together. You know, you're always different pieces from different people. And on the surface, it looks like a different ideology. A Peruvian shaman is using different language and concepts to the Tibetan Lama, you know, to the tantric master. But then you start to realize that all of them are pushing you in these areas primarily of, let's call it spirit and heart, in the most fundamental way. Mm-hmm. So in the, in the spiritual side, and uh, I was learning about the radical thing of chakras, and also how to walk in the spirit world, how to walk in different dimensions with the shaman and so forth. And the other side, I was learning about the profundity of self-love and how that will affect your entire life and your intimate relationships, your romantic relationships. And these were happening sporadically until it all came together in one, in one go. So what we probably should do here, I think, is choose an avenue to go down, either the heart side or the spirit side. And we can, we can do both at one at a time, maybe. So I don't know. Yeah, let's go down the spirit side first. I thought so. <laughs> did you okay. read my energy? <laughs> I did. Um, okay, so in terms of spirit, I think two things. 
What I most enjoyed on the one side was working with Peruvian shamans who the apex teachers, the heightened shamans, these people don't do retreats, they don't deal with the public, they're not on Google and so forth. And they looked at me and said, okay, you've got clairvoyance, you've got these, you really have these techniques. I actually said I was already a shaman, I didn't know that. Oh, wow. I don't care for, I don't care for the titles anymore, they, they don't mean anything. Right. And they trained me to become a proper shaman. In other words, mentored me on how to, and I, again, I'm, I reluctant to talk about it too much, but how to leave your body how to travel in other worlds, how to access different dimensions, which is interesting and probably requires an entire podcast by itself because the dimensions that are out there, you need to have a full understanding about the qualities and the nature of light and dark as well. There's a lot of things to think about. The main thing about this is going out to get knowledge and accessing power and bringing it back. That's what it's for. Otherwise, it means nothing. You know, Otherwise, it's like traveling to different countries, like going on vacation to Japan or uh, Hawaii and coming back with great memories. But if you want to serve humanity, you need to bring back knowledge and power. That's the point of shamanism. That's the goal of it. But obviously it's amazing what you can experience up there and the beings you can meet and so forth in different dimensions. So that's the one. I know we we can't talk about that, right? I really want to talk about that. You know what? We can do whatever we like because as long as we are mindful about who's listening and making sure everything we say is in the spirit of love, you know? So sometimes I might say, look, if we're going to go down this avenue, Here's a couple of warnings you must be mindful of. And, my, and warnings are never to create fear, they're to make you wise, right? So a simple, simple analogy in more earthly terms is this. Is that I would say to people, you become the five people you hang around the most, right? right. And most people don't understand this. So a lot of people are built with a lot of love and caring, and they let five people hang around them who are full of drama, gossiping, judgment, negativity, maybe a toxicity inside themselves, a lack of self-love, or they're in dysfunctional relationships. And so when I say to people, you really need to think about your own spiritual evolution here, as much as you care about those people, maybe you should cut a couple of them off so that you can make more advancements and progress spiritually yes. and emotionally. That's always challenging to people because they hear that it's like, oh, that's negative. Aren't you supposed to love other people? Aren't you supposed to pour caring to other people and be a mentor for them? But sometimes it's more healthy for your self-love and your evolution if you cut off some toxic people, people who are not wanting to evolve, people are bringing you down, people are harming you, energy vampires and so forth, because there are people like that out there. Now, this is the same thing as the spirit world. You need to be very careful about where you're going to and what you're allowing into your energy field and into your chakras, right? So part of shamanism, and there's only for advanced people who want to learn how to travel the different dimensions. And quite frankly, I don't know how you can not, because if you're a seeker and you're intrigued and fascinated by what's out there, because this can't be life, right? I can't just have this strange two-legged, two-armed body that right. grows hairs all over the place. Like, what is that all about? Right. And this is my whole life. This is my whole life. It can't be. So I had to travel these, these multi-dimensions. But when you're doing these journeys with the shamans, part of the training is learning how to stand in your own power because if you enter another dimension, and this is important, I think people should know about this. It doesn't matter if you're Christian or religious or not religious. There are negative entities out there, and it's something that people really should accept because we're all about love and light, whether we're religious or new age, and everything's love and light, love and light, love and light. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if we align ourselves to beings of light, they surround us and we're protected and everything's nice. But there are still negative beings out there. And this is something I can t- talk to you about later about how to protect yourself and be mindful of this. But if you're doing shamanism, you want to know how to travel into different dimensions and know which doors to go through and which not. 
And if you're going to go through a certain door, well, you must know how to protect yourself and keep yourself in a state of um, safety, right? Hmm. So when I was learning shamanism, part of the, the, in the, in the beginning, you're going to go to what I call safe dimensions. You'll go to uh, the dimension where souls have left the earth, which is quite an amazing place, by the way. Tibetan where souls soul, have left the earth. Yeah, the, in the first stage where souls have left the earth, it's like a holding place. I think the Tibetans call it the bardo, the lamas. They used to tell me, I've forgotten now. Are you on um, plant medicine while you're doing this? Well, that's interesting because shamanism uses plant medicine, which, by the way, is, of course, non-addictive and completely without side effects and very safe, to open the doors of your perception, right? But when your doors of perception are open and you can control those states, you don't need those anymore. So this is very important that psychedelics or plant medicines are used for two primary reasons. First reason is for healing, and the second one is for what I call transcendence. They're two very different things. So you might work with a shaman in Peru or wherever else, for example, doing mescaline or ayahuasca or whatever, which are quite amazing things. And that also requires almost a separate podcast in itself. You go there for healing to heal out your wounds, your traumas, your body injuries from, say, child abuse, you know, the memories that are stored in your body, not your mind. Whatever that may be, you can use psychedelics to heal very quickly and very profoundly a lot of your traumas and your issues. But not just a psychedelic, being with somebody radical, must be a really good shaman. And there's so many things to talk about here. And the other side is you can transcend using psychedelics. But here's the tricky thing. If you haven't healed somebody properly, you can't transcend properly. It's like a hot air balloon is trying to take off into the sky and fly in the panoramic blue sky and it's beautiful and blissful and happy and joyful. And that's where the transcendence is. But you're currently weighted down in all these sandbags, right, which is your wounds and issues and so forth. So you cannot take off and transcend properly if the sandbags are holding you down. So we first need to heal out all the sandbags, get rid of them, then show you how to fly and navigate the higher realms. So those are two very separate things. And a lot of people will go to Colombia and uh, Peru and different places and surf for psychedelics to try to heal out the issues. Now, this is where it gets more complicated. Tell me if, you know, if it's just too much information. But Oh, I love this. Yeah, we should talk about this because psychedelics are making a comeback. They, they mm-hmm. were huge uh, in the 60s. Psychiatrists were using them to help people heal powerfully from many different things, from alcoholism and child abuse and all sorts of things, using a number of things that are famous, like LSD and so forth. And then it was shut down because of fear and all sorts of nonsense. You know, it's just absolute nonsense. And uh, it's coming back now to many organizations like MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies, who are doing cutting-edge things uh, endorsed by the FDA. And now we're getting radical therapies for people. And again, not to do by yourself at home. Absolutely not. It must be done in the auspices of a psychiatrist, you know, professional who knows what they're doing. And they're using things today like, you know, LSD, ketamine, MDMA, which are healing up PTSD and OCD and anxiety and depression and so forth. Anyway, I'm kind of diverting there. The important thing is, and I really want to hit this hard, if you are trying to do a healing journey with a psychedelic, psychedelic itself is nothing more than a, like a tool, like a can opener to open up your heart or your mind. It has to be under the guidance of somebody who's an expert. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't emphasize this enough because I've done so many psychedelic journeys as part of my 10 years, and I've helped a lot of people. I won't say where. It wasn't in this country, okay? But I helped a lot of people in different journeys in the same way. 
And what we learn is this, that the psychedelic is nothing more than a tool. And it is clearly in the hands of the person working with you what effect you're going to have. So if you're with someone who's not, say, hasn't healed out their own wounds, someone who doesn't have a lot of self-love, someone who hasn't understood you know, the different dimensions and how to navigate them, or the fact that they're dark and light forces, and someone who's not maybe ethical or as loving, kind as they should be, you know, whatever it may be, if that person puts you on a psychedelic, opens you up to radical vulnerable state, not only can you not be healed, but you can be further damaged, traumatized, traumatized or, or, or emotionally mm. abused. Huh. And a lot of people do not talk about this. You can come back from ayahuasca in the jungle and work with some low-level shaman who's only there to make money, who knows the tourists are suckers. Unfortunately, they're out there. So you can come back and have done an ayahuasca journey where you're so open emotionally, your energy field is wide open, your mind is wide open, and stuff is going on around you that affects you and damages you. For example, if you're in a group setting, it's like, and this is what I do not like, where they do 20 or 30 people at a time. It's very common because it's more money, right? So there's a shaman, maybe he's a, he's a compatriot, and they've got 20 or 30 people who are under the influence of a psychedelic like ayahuasca, which is a powerful psychedelic that almost paralyzes you so you can hardly move and makes you vomit a lot. Right. But at that moment at ayahuasca, you become incredibly open. So forget about your mind and your emotions. Let's pretend there's no psychology. Your energy field opens wide, wide, wide. Now what's happening is two people next to you are processing out some trauma, some radical negative energy. And at that moment, the negative energy just crosses over into you because you're so open. So you land up absorbing someone else's trauma, someone else's negativity. Oh, wow. And you have no idea what's happened because you're so out of it. And unless that shaman, and a really good shaman can do this, they see in the energy world, and that's so important, they can see the energy move, right? Which I can do as well. Then they can see other oh, energies moving, stop it immediately, take it and send it somewhere else. But now one shaman cannot really look after 30 people at a time. So I feel really unhappy about this, what I call psychedelic tourism. And it's, it's such a big thing nowadays. And so if anybody's listening up there, try always to look for the best shaman around. That's my cat making noise, worry. <laughs> and uh, she's just confirming the warning, you know? She's right, exactly. Me, yeah, meows there. No, but look for high-level shaman who's got a very strong reputation and try to use your intuition with the shaman to make sure they feel right. You know, they've got good ethics, good morals and so forth and a lot of power. And secondly, don't ever journey in a group. I don't care how much it costs. Don't journey in a group of 30 or 20 people. Maybe 10 is the maximum. Okay. You know, because otherwise, how can that person look after you when you're so out of and vulnerable? Okay, so that's the warnings out the way. That's really somber and like sad and like scary, but people need to know this. So... Doing a psychedelic is, in my mind, the most powerful way to heal a person as long as it's in conjunction with an incredible person like a psychiatrist, psychologist, or a high-level shaman. So um, I personally heal my PTSD on a psychedelic. And I've probably not been really explicit about that before because some people are nervous about psychedelics and say, oh, it's drugs. Of course, it's not drugs. It's a natural plant that has been used for thousands of years to heal people. I took the San Pedro cactus, a glass of it, they sort of mix it up into a pot and boil it down for eight hours, and then they give you a glass of it. The active ingredient is mescaline. Mescaline is, in my mind, the most beautiful, powerful psychedelic on planet Earth. And other people might say, I like mushrooms and I like ayahuasca, but let me tell you that on ayahuasca, you're going to vomit and probably have upset tummy and all sorts of horrible things, and it's really scary. Mescaline just ensconces you in love. 
it gets love inside your pores, inside your energy field, and your heart, inside your mind, and love like you never felt before. It is the most overwhelming love. Anything you can imagine just times by a thousand. Now that you cannot hold trauma in, the, in that kind of onslaught of love. It just hits you like waves and it wipes out trauma and grief and depression and anxiety and, and so forth. I'm not saying you can heal everybody of everything, but for me personally, within 45 minutes of taking it, I just started crying. I mean, I cried like I've never cried in my entire life before. Hmm. I mean, really, it wasn't pretty. I'm glad there was no Instagram around back then because it was messy. <laughs> it was just messy crying. And I cried for about an hour. And after one hour, I suddenly started getting these revelations. Impossible to explain. Things just, I wasn't hearing a voice. I just suddenly knew things about myself, knew things about my relationships, knew things about life. Amazing. And that was just the first two hours. The mescaline journey takes eight to 10 hours. Oh, so wow. It's radical. It's amazing. Did you drink that? You went to that shaman to cure your PTSD or you were just learning? You weren't, that wasn't on the, the list of healing. You just went to. No, you know, I was at a point where I wanted to, I was desperate to understand the spiritual things, to know what are the gifts that I had, how could I use them better, who could mentor me. I, I just wanted to, it's like having a raw talent and no one's ever schooled you in it properly because there was no one around, no one at the level enough to, to teach you. That was my primary goal. And then the side effect, accidentally, is I experienced this profound healing and self-love and everything I was looking for actually in the heart side. So this is why I say my journey was always about spirit and heart. And that happened concurrently. Even when I was looking for spiritual things, I was being hit really hard by self-love and healing. And mm-hmm. it was amazing. That first journey I did, the first two hours was probably like having, I don't know, three or four years of therapy in two hours. It was, wow. I mean, you can't explain it really. That yeah, two hours is done. You can't. So I've had two hours of crying and revelation. And then suddenly it's almost like some force says, okay, that's enough. Let's show you the other side of life. And then suddenly I was lying on my back looking up the sky. And I kid you not, the whole sky got filled with angels. I mean, it's like you can't understand what's happened to you. Uh, later on, I'm looking at a flower and suddenly me and the flower become one and you understand the oneness of life. Oh. So much happens in an eight-hour journey. And there's no side effects, no addiction, no like yearning or cravings for it afterwards. It's just a pure, beautiful thing that Peruvian shamans and other shamans have known for thousands of years. And of course, mescaline is the active ingredient that's both in peyote in North America and the San Pedro cactus in South America. So it's not like this is new. It's right. been used very cleverly for thousands of years and always under the auspices and guidance of these shamans, which pretty much are the tribal psychologists, you know, and good ethical people. Right. So I highly rate it, and that's curve my PTSD in the space of I did three journeys, so it could have three journeys because PTSD was on. Wow. And you, after those, that third journey, it's like you couldn't imagine having that PTSD. Like you couldn't, well, could you see your old self reacting? And then you're like, oh, wait. There's a period of, I mean, this is really interesting. There's a period of integration. So you become something completely different in one or three journeys. And I mean, in terms of psychology, they talk about neural pathways, right? Which I right. kind of like. So the, the full pattern is this. You have a super highway of neural pathways, right? That's making you act in certain ways. Let's say hypervigilance. So there's a whole lot of pathways, huge amounts, like a highway. And suddenly you have this new experience and it builds next to the highway a pathway, right? That is healthy and beautiful and loving. Mm. Now they're always competing. But then as you do two or three journeys, this one becomes a highway and the other one starts to dissipate oh. until it becomes really thread. 
Now, that thread will probably still be there for a long time because the brain is a way of remembering and making sure you're protected. But now you've got the superhighway on this side and the thin pathway on this side. So there's, it's quite interesting because that suddenly that sort of grows as you integrate over the next few days and weeks. And even though you can feel radically different, you start to notice over the next few weeks you're behaving differently. You think, what is going on with me? I don't understand this feeling. Oh. You, know, you feel and you act differently and it's like a miracle. But I must be honest, that, that little tiny pathway is still there somewhere. And sometimes that's useful because you might have a situation where you see something in distance and your body language is, is off. And the little pathway recognizes that and warns you about it, which is useful. So that's right. what I call yeah. it a useful vigilance, but it's not a hypervigilance. Right. So, yeah, I don't ever think, you know, you don't become 100% one other another person. It's more like you become 99% the other person, keep a little bit of the old useful uh, techniques. I liken it to this as well. If you've been really hurt by one or more people and you forgive them, which that takes a long time often, right? You forgive them through different spiritual work or through a psychedelic, but you truly forgive them. So you become a different person. Otherwise, you, you know, you're imprisoned by them. You never forget. You see, right. Forgiveness is a powerful thing, and that's you know, 98% of it. But the 2% is you should never forget that because it'll help you in the future not to make the same yes. mistakes or go out that's with the same people. Way. So that's what I kind of like to say. It's not an absolute thing. But yeah. yeah, I love that. Okay, so we went down that, <laughs> that rabbit hole. <laughs> and I, there's so much about you, Stephen. But I want to talk about the chakras because I think you had a, the, and how you had that Kundalini experience mm-hmm. and explaining the, how you've learned. I've done work, breath work and things where I realize I can tell where I'm stuck, you know, that, but you go to the, way deep level yeah yeah i'm going to tell you now that the chakras are the most exciting thing for me by far and that means a lot because i can journey in different worlds i can read people's energy fields i can dive into people's energy and you know go to people they know and heal them too i can do a lot of things so for me to say that it means a lot the chakras and this is interesting because again those commonalities that came up you realize later on that tibetan lamas peruvian charmers the tantric masters especially the tantric masters, they're all big on the chakras. And at the time, I wasn't 100% understanding what these were, and I'd gone down some of the roads with chakras, and I hadn't really, wasn't able to feel them. I remember being in a, in a class with a tantric master, what I call not an apex teacher, but a good teacher. And people around me were like dancing and jiggling and making these, these sounds and painting, and I thought, wow, I mean, is this, is this real? Was it, is, like, why, did, why did I not feel, what's going on? Because I, I felt nothing. And, you know, and then, I think two years later, again, this is tracking people down. I found this apex teacher. Wow. I mean, there is power and there's power, okay? And I can explain how the power works. So that's fascinating in itself. There's levels of everything in life. You know, some people are pretty athletic. Some people are Olympic champions. We have to accept that everyone has different levels of ability. I'm absolutely useless in playing any musical instrument. I don't know what, how, I don't understand it. Other people are geniuses, right? And right. pop stars. So we have to accept this. So the tantric master I met was a whole different level. It's like Olympic level, right? Apex teacher. So uh, it's a female. So she comes to me and she, she I said to her, I don't, I don't understand these chakras. I mean, I've done all this. I've learned all the sensual pleasure stuff from the basic tantric stuff, which obviously is beautiful for relationships and right. it's valuable. But it's not really what I was looking for, right? I mean, having great sex is great. Of course it is. But it's not everything in life. Right. I want to learn the spiritual, emotional stuff. So she comes and says, okay, do you want to learn? I'll show you. And it's funny, it reminds me of the, of the movie that came out recently called The Sorcerer with Doctor Strange. And oh. thought, you know, and you know, she goes up to him and he's such a skeptic of the doctor and she sort of puts his hand like, draws him like that and 
throws them out of his body. If you haven't seen it, go see it. No, I haven't seen it. So yes, I will. Go see it. Okay. It's uh, Doctor Strange, uh, The Sorcerer. It's a really good movie. It's a Marvel movie. In fact, the sequel has just come out. Oh. I haven't haven't seen it yet. So so it's a bit like that, but she put her hand. And you know what's amazing about Tantra? I'd spent two years learning how to touch and caress and stroke, right? Because it's all tactile. Right. Which also is a great healer. So I heal that stuff and I knew how to pleasure my current partner and it was amazing, right? She showed me that Tantra is actually pure energy and doesn't require touch, which it kind of blew my mind, right? Even for someone like me who's very clairvoyant. But clairvoyance is it's almost like a receptive thing, whereas the energy workers are giving, active kind of thing. Right. So she came up to me and she put a hand near the base of my spine, like let's say about a foot away from my spine, not touching me, nothing inappropriate even, right? And I'm fully clothed. Huh. She put a hand at the base of my spine, about a foot away, and she pumped energy into me, right? Now, bear in mind two things. I've never felt anything before anyway. And secondly, I'm very skeptical. I'm not one of those sort of gullible people that just falls down flat when someone looks at them. You know what I mean? Right. Which is, that was my dad's blessing. I was going to say, you got that from your dad. My dad taught me to be super skeptical. No matter how clever one you was, he said, I mean, unfortunately, he said things like, don't trust anyone and don't trust anything and make them prove themselves. But actually, it was a blessing because it helped me a lot in my journey for 10 years. Okay. Anyway, so she comes along. And, I mean, she's a woman. I was trying to be a bit more polite. I probably wasn't as polite as some men I've met. So I said, okay, you do it. But I'm not gullible. I'm not going to fall for anything. All she did is pump energy into me without moving her hand. And I felt this energy push from the base chakra all the way up to the top chakra. Now, I'm sure all your listeners know, know what the chakras are, but I'll tell them. There are seven main chakras starting at the base of your spine, working all the way up to the very top of your head, the crown. I felt this energy push up through my chakras. Now, let me explain something here. Oops. Every chakra is like a small lake of water, a pool of water, right? And that pool of water should be free-flowing water. My chakras are frozen, like imagine an icy, icy lake. Huh. And that's why the energy I can never feel going up me. Now, chakras get frozen because of trauma, because of abuse, because of... PTSD, there's all sorts of challenging things you can experience in life. And you might have one or more chakras that are frozen. Problem is it works sequentially. If you try to push energy up your base chakra and your second chakra is blocked, you get no more energy going up you because it has to work sequentially through the chakras. You can't jump through chakras and go to the top chakra. Right. It works from the base upwards. And there's a reason for that, but that's complex tantric teachings, which actually, by the way, is fascinating. Man, we got another podcast. <laughs> we sure <laughs> do. <laughs> um, so she pumps this energy to me and I felt, now bear in mind, I'm absolutely not gullible, right? I felt my chakra break. The base, of, the base chakra was actually fine. I felt the second chakra break, the emotional one, which is obviously linked to, again, um, sadness, grief, parents, childhood, whatever. Right. And when it broke, it literally was like somebody smashing glass or smashing a lake. I felt it break. Oh, my gosh. And it was a, a pain, not a pain that's like a physical pain. It wasn't like excruciating. It was more like... You know, if your shoulder was uh, knocked out and somebody put it back in, that's kind of like right. a good pain, right? It hurts, but it's going to put Yeah, it gets it back, back in. in. Yeah. Yeah. So when it broke through my chakra, I went, ah, oh, like that. And I was really, oh, but it actually was a breaking and the energy flowing through. And, the, you know, that sort of shout or scream lasts, I don't know, five or six seconds. It was amazing. And I always said this to everyone who taught me. That's just my personality, okay? I said, I don't care what it takes. I don't care how much it hurts. Just do it because I'm not coming back, you know, every yeah. month or every year. And I did that with the shamans and tantric masters. So she just continued. It broke through all the chakras. And uh, I had this, it was uncomfortable and difficult. 
And the first time she did it was challenging. But after that, I started having, the thing is with the chakras, it's interesting because you first break through the legs, all of them, or depending on when you're broken, that's the first thing you need to do. It's kind of like in its, in its own self. Then you come back and you do what I call healing out the chakras, which means you go into each chakra and you pull out low resonance energy, harm energy, trauma energy, anything is not leading to like a baseline. So it's the healing part, like the hot air balloon again in the, in the sandbags. Right. You've got to clean out every chakra of all the limitations and the negative energy and the trauma and the abuse. How are you doing that? Okay, I'm going to come to that. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then when that's done, you can do it a little bit concurrently, but generally it's a sequence again, like the shamans. Then what you do is you use extremely high-level energy to try and make each chakra transcend. So now, this is amazing. The sh- this is why I love the chakras, because and I'm a psychologist, and I went to university and so forth, and I understand the power of the mind, and I've learned NLP, and I learned hypnosis, but they actually did like tricks, really. They're not real. They don't, they don't actually heal you properly. Each chakra represents a part of your life. So if you imagine that your entire life is divided into seven segments, it all fits into seven segments. Each chakra controls that segment of your life. So if you want to heal, for example, your earthly relationships, say trauma, abuse, something in childhood, you need to go into the base chakra. I mean, unfortunately, the myth is that the base chakra is just about sex. I mean, it's ridiculous. The base Mm -hmm. chakra is about earthly relationships. And it's the entry point for all relationships in your base chakra. And that's why the energy starts in your base chakra and then works its way out, polluting other chakras. And that's extremely important to remember. And again, I'm going to quickly divert you. That's why I give the warning to people. Be careful who you let into your energy field, especially in intimate situations like making love because that is activating your base chakra directly. And whoever makes love to you or with you, they put a piece of their energy into your base chakra without you realizing. Of course they do, right? Especially at the point of orgasm. You then walk away with a piece of that person's stuff, which could be hopefully good, happy, joyful, or it could be trauma, unresolved issues and wounds. And it goes into your base chakra and then travels all up your chakras, polluting all your chakras. So the entry point... Yeah, the entry point is always your base chakra. And there's some extremely advanced teachings here, which absolutely love and fascinating. And I haven't spoken ever on air before. They're normally just sort of private clients who are at that level. Well, let's just go back to the question. So in terms of healing, and this is interesting. So just like people have certain levels of skill sets, like music or mathematics or athletics, you may have one or two of those, or maybe you have an artistic ability. People are born with certain abilities in the spirit realm too. Some people are born with the ability to use energy or to be clairvoyant or, or to read people. Right, like you. Yeah, exactly. And I, I didn't really understand the energy abilities when I was young. I just had the clairvoyant and the reading abilities, what I call more the passive abilities. The energy abilities are what I call active abilities, right? Because you're doing something with the energy. And so this is a different area. So... What's really fun for me is that between the tantric masters and the uh, Peruvian shamans, they taught me how to not just use the passive side, clairvoyance, journey in other worlds, but to actually use the energy side too. So let me make it really simple. The first thing is we're all born with a certain level of energy ability, whatever it may be, maybe a small amount, maybe a moderate amount. And if we do something like do Reiki, like become a Reiki master, we increase our energy abilities because the person with you is tuning your energy. In other words, increasing your resonance of your ability. So it's like a, like a tuning fork. They tune your things slightly higher. But they can only tune you to whatever level they're at, right? That's extremely important to remember. So 
you may go to five different Reiki masters and get different levels of attunement, taking you up higher and higher and higher. What I like to tell people is that, just imagine in simple terms, that in the sky is an enormous power station, which is running at like, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not a scientist, but let's just say it's called 10 million volts, if that's okay. the right word, I have no idea. And that power station is then sending energy down to different people on the earth. And depending on who you are, you transform that, just like we transform electricity into a house. You know, if you took a power station directly into a kettle or your stove, it would explode, but it's stepped down and transformed to a small amount of voltage, whatever it's called, to run your appliances. So again, just imagine this enormous power station and there's, you know, billions of people on earth. And depending on how you built, you can access a certain level of that vibration. So maybe not 10 million volts, but you can come up with 10 or 20 volts and you can then use it on yourself and other people. If you're gifted, like from inheriting things from previous lifetimes, you might come in this world with already a thousand volts and you can use that to help yourself and other people. And if you become a Reiki master and so forth. So what happens is, let's just say you're traveling around the world and you meet a shaman because of his own experiences, abilities, evolution, he's running at uh, 10,000 volts. Then you can surrender to him, provided his right ethics and morals and so forth, and he can tune you to 10,000 volts, right? Huh. Which is, you see, this is very important. People, now, a lot of people don't get this. So, for example, Reiki masters. I mean, there's, oh my God, there's thousands of them, right? And that's a great thing. But awesome. Become a Reiki master is a fantastic thing, but you're not all at the same voltage as such. It depends who taught you. It depends on the lineage. It depends on the person's own purity. So think about it like this. Whether you're working with a shaman or a tantric master, the first question you can ask yourself is, and you, obviously it's more intuitive, is what is their voltage? Because you can only go up to their level. They cannot make you go further than them. If someone's helping you with breaking through chakras or shamanic work, and they're at 10,000 volts, you will never exceed 10,000 volts with them. So then you need to find out who their teachers are, who will have to get higher and higher. But you can't do it by yourself either, because let's say you're sitting right now at, at 2,000 volts, and you can you know, put energy into you, and you can bring energy and cleanse your aura and so forth, but you, you're still capped at your own level, your own ability. So you have to find someone who can do what I did. Say you meet a tantric master who's like, wow, are you, are you kidding me right now, right? This may be operating at, I don't know, you know 500,000 volts, who comes in and just blasts energy through your chakras and does it you know, on numerous occasions, upgrading, upgrading, upgrading until your, until your chakras are not only clear and clean. Each one is vibrating at an insane resonance frequency, right? And the energy running through the chakras are not limited at all, right, by any frequency. And then what happens is not only do you heal out the most radical things in all parts of your life, you have the ability to push energy into other people. Well, sorry, the energy field totally changed there. Wait, I was like, what happened? Yeah, no, it's it's, it's uh, energy field totally. If I start doing this, what happens is I'm accessing the energy and then it starts to move huh. into into you, so I've got to, I'm trying to. I'm trying to use the energy right now, but trying to just talk about it. It's just, it's unconscious intention. So the basic thing is what I can do now. And obviously, it's not because I'm special, because and whatever title I have is irrelevant. It's because I've been to masters across the world who have broken through all my chakras, maximized the resonance of each chakra to whatever they could, and to whatever I surrendered to, because I surrendered to everything. And then your each chakra is resonating so high but your overall energy field is at a certain, again, let's call it voltage. And the great thing about that is, no matter your ideology now, no matter if you're religious or you belong to new age movement, nothing matters about this except for one thing. When you're in the presence of someone else, 
or you intend to send energy through, say, sort of a therapeutic thing or over a distance, they will then receive this radical energy uh, through these chakras and start to themselves heal and transcend without you having to say a word. And that's what's really exciting. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I call that being a lighthouse. Okay. Are you a lighthouse? <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, you know, the thing is, it's so funny is that I'm a lighthouse, but all these titles, they just sound like ego. I honestly right. think without being, I don't want to say all oh, BS because we need titles. Otherwise, how would people know what you do? You have to have a title, you're a right. doctor, you're a pharmacist, you're a shaman, whatever. But, and it's funny as well because people who have very little self-love, which unfortunately is so common in the world, mm-hmm. they're the ones who get so upset when you call yourself a title. If you call yourself a shaman, they're like, who do you think you are? And, and, and I've heard people say, but you're white. You can't be a shaman. I'm like, okay. I'm not <laughs> sure why, where that connects in because oh, you're funny. indigenous. Yeah. So, I mean, the thing about this life is if you can, for me, and I hope everyone gets to this point, no one is at a perfect position of self-love. You, you cannot be. It's not like a situation of naught to 100. Because we have this idea like either I don't love myself or I'm going to love myself so completely I'll just know it. It's never like that. That's very naive. It's more a situation of if I can keep growing my self-love on a daily basis through exercises, through affirmations, uh, through psychedelics maybe, through shamanism, through having good supportive friends around me. If your self-love is growing the whole time and you're increasing the amount of resonance in your chakras, then you can turn around and do beautiful things for other people. Hmm. And that's what I like. Then you get to the point which I call love and service, which for me is the only way to live. It is not about ego, not about titles, not about any of that nonsense. I mean, you need titles because people have to know who you are. I get that. That's why I have this stuff on my website or mystic and whatever. But the, the amazing thing is now you can be in a place of love and service, which is a place you are too. And this is really exciting. And again, like I said earlier, love and service is where you turn around and realize there are people beneath you on the ladder and you put your hand out and say, hey, how can I help you? What can I do to make your life more wonderful, right? Mm-hmm. The skill sets I have. And I think that is the most beautiful place to live. If you are highly actualized, you've achieved most of your dreams and you're growing more and more self-love, so you feel amazing, right? You feel like just amazing and you turn around and help other people. That's, for me, the ultimate life. Yes. Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. If I didn't have to go pick up Paige from school, I'd sit here yeah. for another hour. That's why I'm like, shoot, I wish she had her driver's license. She just turned 16. It's like, come on, Paige, get with it. But for you, so I'm reading your website. I'm going to like, how do I, I, people work with you through Zoom, doing these sessions. Like, I want you to do that with my chakras. (laughs) Sure. The way it works is on the website, they just have to go to the web page called Shamanism because I've combined the two most powerful things of experience, which is shamanism and tantric chakras. And basically I, I work with people either on a Zoom or, or face-to-face, if they're in Los Angeles here. And there's no distance. I mean, this is important. I'm not a scientist, but there's things like quantum mechanics and quantum entanglements and all these newfangled ideas, which is nothing more than we've known for thousands of years. That there's no distance and no time. Everything's right. happening here now. And the more you're in these altered states, the more you realize and you experience this. So when I'm talking to our clients anywhere in the world, it doesn't matter where they are because I can access them instantly and start to change these chakras. Uh, and that's the important thing. It's trying to give people, uh, the, for me, it's trying to give people the most significant and accelerated change possible because there's value in all the psychologists and psychiatrists and Reiki masters, but I also don't think people should be wasting, you know, weeks and weeks and years like I did. You need to look for the Apex teachers. And that's what I did. It took me right. 10 years, unfortunately. And, and that's what I try to offer people now. I say, look, I've got this now. 
let me give you significant accelerated change and in the fastest way possible with the most radical understanding to you. Right. Oh, do I lay on the couch when you are on Zoom? Like, what do I do? I'm like, you know, <laughs> if we're doing it by Zoom, how do we do it? I know. Can you do you know it? Like, you do, is it just like my eyes are closed? You're doing like a visual, like I, I, meditation? I, I, look, okay, first of all, from my side, I can access altered states instantaneously. I mean, I do this all the time because when you, when you learn to live in different worlds, it's a very thin veil. It's like uh, having a radio a receiver and all you do is turn the dial and you get different stations, right? It's, it's, mm-hmm. It takes a half a second to turn. So for me, it's instantaneous easily. For the person receiving, I always say to them, I don't care. Some people like to go shopping when they are receiving. Some people lay, lay on a bed. Some people, whatever they want. They can either be on Zoom with me, like we're talking oh. now, or they sometimes oh. or some people just say, okay, tell you what, have a long chat with me. And then they close it down and then they go and lay down on the bed. And then I do the work at a distance. Because some people don't want to experience it like talking. They just want to completely shut down and like receive. But either way, it makes a difference. And this is the amazing thing that it doesn't require any special preparation. You don't have to light any candles. You don't have to do any of the rituals and stuff. In fact, this is really amazing, but we must cut it off because you've got to go pick up your child, right? Is that when you achieve advanced states of consciousness and abilities, then you realize you don't need any intermediary devices anymore. And this is what's really exciting. So I'm not knocking anything because everyone's got different devices they need. But when you get to a high level, you don't need any more ten, uh, what they call the tarot cards. You don't need pendulums. You don't need feathers. You don't need crystals. You need nothing. Yeah. Because we, we have in us such power and ability. And the more these masters grow, grow your ability and make your voltage higher, you need nothing. All you need is, is your, let's call it your soul, your vibration to have a profound effect on other people. And all you need to do anybody who's listening or wants to receive as a client, all they have to do is one simple thing, make an intention either in their mind or out loud, I want to receive this. Intention is the most powerful way to control energy. And it's much more powerful than people realize. The minute you say, I intend to receive this, or I intend to give this, it happens. It's profound. So there's no devices. No, you don't have to dress. I don't even dress in things. People, I go around to someone's house in Los Angeles, and they say, well, I'm just just wearing a robe and feathers and stuff. And one of those, like, <laughs> I'm like, well, I don't need all that nonsense. We don't, none of us need this stuff. Why can't we just be who we truly are and the powers and the energy, right, and in love? So that's the answer to the question. And, and I absolutely am willing to give you a free – if you email me, I'll do a free session with you wherever you are at home. I can show you and demonstrate the skill. It's like radical. It's mind-boggling. Uh, Otherwise, yeah, we can chat again in another podcast because I know you Yeah, for sure. Promise? Yeah. Absolutely. We just set it up because it's, the thing is interesting is that your energy field and your heart are an awesome place to discuss these kind of matters, you know, because you are profiled so similar to me in terms of spirit and heart. And that's why yeah. the conversation, you know, that's why the conversation today has been, I've said more things than I normally say on air and it's been more profound in a way. So it's kind of special. And I think, yeah, there's a being a light talking to me right now that there's, your work is to bring this kind of information to people who are listening to you right now. And that's why the conversation we're having is right. It's very important. So you have followed your intuition and your flow today. Yeah, it's great. You have a lot of angels around you right now. Oh, we, we can't do this. We've got to go. But it's okay. Tell angels. me. She can no, wait. You have a, you have a <laughs> <laughs> priority angels, child. Yeah, right? Angels. You have a lot, of, you have a lot of angels around you right now, beings of light. I call them angels because they're the highest beings of light in very close to the source. Beautiful beings. They seldom talk but they tend to move into your energy field and give you a radical blessing of, of high resonance, light, and love. 
So your beings are talking right now, these angels, and they're saying that you're doing really, really well. The path you've chosen is really good. It's not your end path. It's not your final path. They're very proud of where you're at at the moment. So it's like you've, you know, you've reached a, like a stepping stone in your life, a, a really good plateau. And that's a great place to be for, for quite a while and to consolidate. Now, you also like solidifying your energy field at the moment because your energy field is not fully compacted. In other words, there's parts of you, there's little pockets of doubt in your energy field and little pockets of slightly low resonance energy. Small pockets. The overall energy is like amazing. But these little pockets like that. And what's trying to happen at the moment is you're consolidating, saying, this is who I am. I have absolute faith in what I can do. I believe myself. I know what I'm offering to the world is valuable. It's just that last little bit to consolidate it. Because your your beings are saying right now that tell her what she's offering to the world is very valuable. And so it's a way to to reinforce and encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. So, yeah, it's it's important. So that's all I want to say for now. But it's it's important because you're at that point where you just need a little bit of encouragement that you're doing something amazing. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Gosh, yeah. I knew you'd be amazing to get to know, but not like it just goes. <laughs> you're just so beautiful. Thank you. You know what? This whole world to me is about love and service. And any way that I'm making your life or anybody's else, anybody else's life more wonderful, that's what it's about, isn't it? That's the joy. Yeah. Yes, it is so amazing. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for listening to the Uncover Your Magic podcast today. If you are inspired by what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast player. If you would like to connect with me with any questions, comments, or feedback, please contact me at the Uncover Your Magic website. Thank you so much for listening and don't forget, always look for the magic.